Hey listeners, before we begin the episode today, just a quick shout out to those of you who are in active recovery. You know you want to date, but you're overwhelmed or frustrated with the process um, of dating and recovery. We have an opportunity just for you. Uh, check out our new website, One Layer Deeper, O-N-E, LayerDeeper.com, uh, where we have information about our weekend dating and recovery intensives. Uh, these are awesome. They're a lot of fun. They help you dive deep into the issues that uh, keep you from dating successfully, having the relationships that you want, um, and also helping you find the kind of people that uh, you won't avoid their phone calls after a first date. So uh, we have two events upcoming. We're going to have a weekend for women. That'll be October 11th through 14th. And a weekend for men. That'll be November 1st through 4th. Uh, So if I'm talking to you, active recovery, and uh, you're frustrated with the whole dating process and would like to experience a deep change there, One Layer Deeper is for you. So check us out at OneLayerDeeper.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hey everybody, and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Um, we have had a little bit of a break from this series because we've had a lot of really great guests that, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we have a hard time spacing out guests cause there's just so many exciting people to talk to. Right. Well, and if, if the schedule lines up, we, we book them yeah. and, and then yeah. it takes us a time to get back to the series that we started. Yeah. So, um, this is the what changes series. Mm-hmm. We talked about what changes for men in recovery, what changes for women in recovery, what changes for relationships in recovery. Um, and uh, now, of course, we have to talk about that third thing that you're never supposed to talk about, sex, religion, and politics. We're going to talk about <laughs> religion. Although we have had clients shift political views, too. That happened. Maybe we need to do an episode right, on that, right? too. Um, so I, I was thinking in preparation for this episode, um, one of the most common questions I get asked when people are looking to see if they want to work with me in therapy is, what religion are you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's endemic to where we're at or if that happens everywhere. I, I mm-hmm. talk with enough colleagues around the country to know that that comes Isn't up just unusual. about yeah. yeah. And um, I was just thinking about how there's got to be this sense that people have when they were looking at getting into therapy or needing to get into recovery that they know that things can really be pushed there. Mm-hmm. Things can really, like like this is one of those things that goes deep. And our concepts of God and our connection to our religious community go deep as well. And it's almost like if I'm going to rearrange part of the furniture in this room, the whole room might get rearranged. Mm -hmm. And I think people feel that. And I think there's some fear around that. Right. I um, remember that, you know, because I get this question a lot, too, and wanting to know if I'm the uh, same religion as they are, or if they, if I have an understanding and respect for their religion, and I I never felt like I really knew how to navigate that question. Yeah, and I remember once you saying, 
this is how I navigate it. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant, right? And so I tried it a couple of times and it worked successfully. And and what you had said is if people call and ask you, you know, what your religion is or if you're religious or whatever, um, that you would often say in a first, maybe not in the phone call, but on the first session when that came up, you would say to them, you know, that's not something that I'm not willing to discuss with you, but in a first session, I think it's a way of bypassing. Mm-hmm. And that if I were to say, yes, I'm that same religion, the client would think, oh, good, I can trust you. Mm-hmm. And actually, the client doesn't know if they can trust you. They mm-hmm. don't know if they've connected with you, right? But it's kind of like, oh, you're the same religion. Boom. We we are mm-hmm. similar spirits, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to say, no, I'm not that same faith, um, then they would be like, oh, I, I can't, can't trust this person. You. I'm not going to connect with them, which, yeah. again, may not be the truth, right? Yeah. And that you had said, we're going to have to work on that, like trust and being able to to connect with me is something I'm going to have to earn, and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be based on what happens in our sessions, not my religious affiliation. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, that's so great, right? And like I said, I used it a couple times, and it was successful. And then I had this one client come in, and her father was fairly high up in a um, religious organization, and she wanted to know if I was part of that religious organization. And I gave her that spill, right? And yeah. it worked a couple of times. <laughs> and I thought it was so good. And I had this mapped out. And then John let you down. Right. <laughs> and she, like, literally threw a temper tantrum. Like, the therapist in the office next to me after that session was like, what happened, <laughs> right? Because she was stomping her feet and she was so mad about it. And uh-huh. I was just like, oh, wow. Like... But I think, you know, that story gets to how, you know, for people who are religious, it's a it's a big part of who they are. Yeah. And there can be a lot of fear yeah. about if I'm coming into therapy and, and maybe doing some deeper work, mm-hmm. that's going to maybe challenge some things mm-hmm. or there's this transformation that might happen and I really don't want it to happen here. Yeah. And so this this episode, we're not going to get into, is religiously based therapy, does it have merit or right, not? Right, right. Um, because I think there's a lot of fine organizations out there um, that say, we do this kind of therapy and we keep this kind of religious belief in mind and that's at the front and center. And that's fantastic. Right. Um, if that's what people are looking for, if that's what they need in order to feel safe, like, I'm really glad that stuff exists. Mm-hmm. Um in places that don't say we're going to adhere to this religious belief framework and, and that's going to be the center of what we do, um, I think there's a lot more for the client to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk today about some of the common things that we see come up for our clients in there. Yeah. Um, so I would say one of the one of the first things that comes to mind is I see this concept of what makes you good and what makes you bad. Like that really gets turned upside down, uh-huh. um, especially as we start working on what brought you to addiction. Yeah. Um, a lot of my clients come in with an immense amount of shame. I'm such an awful person. I've done all these crappy things. Um, and as they really dive into their story, and I, I think it's hard to dive into your story in a meaningful way and not develop compassion for yourself. There's almost this like, I'm not bad. Right. Um, and and that that's a huge reorientation for them. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way back to, well, God told me this was bad. Right. Or God says this was bad. Or, or the other thing we may find, right, is that, I mean, we do a lot of work. Therapy is known 
legitimately so for doing family of origin work. Mm-hmm. And for a lot, of, I mean, for some of our clients, right, they come in and they know their family was messed up. That's not news to them and they're mm-hmm. fine with that. But others come in very protective of that, mm-hmm. right? And kind of this, I honor my father and mother and I don't want you to make me not do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not like hell bent on making that happen if that's not the case, right? But we're going to go where we mm-hmm. go. And mm-hmm. if that's where we need to go, which I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I look at, you know, I, I sometimes will joke and say, well, it's not exactly a joke. But when my kids were younger, I would say, you know, we have a college savings fund for them, and then we have a therapy fund, different mm-hmm. kind of education, right? right. <laughs> and and I would tell my kids as they were growing up, like, sometimes I was like, I, like that, I messed up. It was a bad day for me, and I will deposit extra in your <laughs> therapy fund, right? And I've also told them, if, if when you're in therapy, you need me to come in, and say, yep, I did that, and yep, that wasn't right. Uh-huh. I I will do that, right? Mm-hmm. I will swallow my pride. I will come in. I will own whatever you need me to own. Mm-hmm. Because we're not perfect. No right. family is perfect. But sometimes looking at that feels like now we're getting too close to mm-hmm. shaking up other things as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think for a lot of families, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. You know, like our belief system and what our family narrative is and what we we know about ourselves like it it comes from that same place mm-hmm. um i think especially for a lot of our religious clients right. they probably grew up in a home that was very similar to their faith or it was their faith that they have mm-hmm. in adulthood and the family was really steeped in that that's mm-hmm. what the family centered around and sometimes right i i've thought this as a parent like it is it, it's a convenient way of parenting it's not usually helpful and at some point it usually backfires um, but I, I've had clients who will say, you know, if if my child wakes up and says, I don't want to go to church today, that I'll just say, well, you're going to have to take that up with God because God mm-hmm. would be so sad, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of sets up this way for the parent not to have to deal with it. They're mm-hmm. kind of pushing it off onto God, yeah. but God really is backing the parent, right? But it's yeah. this shame that gets wrapped up in mm-hmm. whatever the religion or the faith perspective the relationship with god is we've got to keep in mind that the first god of our understanding is our parents right and so when we start looking at family of origin things or that becomes really apparent there's no way that that's not going to play with your conception Mm -hmm. of god Mm -hmm. and and talk a little bit more about that for maybe our listeners who might be hearing that for the first time what do you mean when you say um our parents are our first god yeah so, so in my in my opinion, developmentally, it's really hard to conceptualize of this being or this presence that rules the universe. So we, we go from this really concrete understanding of things that are bigger than us, more powerful than us, more more knowing than us, um, that that kind of stuff. We have a really concrete understanding, and what's right in front of our faces is our parents. Mm-hmm. Because kids can't really grasp the abstract. No. So they're going to make it concrete. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll make it really concrete. So I think that starts, like, our, our first template for God is our parents. Yeah. Um, and, and our parents seem to know everything. Yeah. Right? Well, they com- are all-knowing. Comparatively, they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you have parents with any reasonable degree of attunement, they knew that your cry meant hunger, or I'm, right. I'm dirty, or I'm tired. Um, and so there is kind of this mystic quality to that is they're just always there. Uh-huh. What, what I need is always there. And that's that's good enough parenting. Um, I think as kids get older, um, that template can start to shift. 
like I have my template of my parents and then maybe I also have scripture that I've started reading or this youth group that I've started attending and I hear people share ideas there and those ideas that are shared influence my template mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe we move into, um, in, in more adulthood, we have this capacity to have these deeply meaningful, maybe completely abstract experiences all by ourselves. Mm. And so it's this internal way of knowing mm-hmm. that we can shift into. Um, and so that concept of God, I think developmentally for us, it has the ability to shift over time um, if we allow it to. Uh-huh. Sometimes there's a high price to pay for that to shift over time. Well, and and one of the, I don't know if this is where you're going with that, but one of the prices that we have to pay for that, right, is this I now as a person am accountable, right? Yeah. My choices are my choices, mm-hmm. and it's not the spirit or God mm-hmm. that told me to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So that if I make a mistake or it doesn't work out, that's kind mm-hmm. of on God or God, mm-hmm. you know, uh, didn't mean for that to happen or yeah. whatever that looks like, right? But yeah. instead it's it's about me yeah. as a person being comfortable being accountable and responsible for my life. Yeah, you know, back, back to that template of... Um, people that are bigger than us and, and more powerful than us with my five-year-old we're seeing a lot of this he's he's starting to come out of it but you can tell it's a really painful awakening for him um when he started walking uh, he's always been a fiery kid but when he started walking if he would trip it didn't matter where his brother was at in the room he'd be like <laughs> you did this to me and we're like he in no way did that to you um, just yesterday morning, I was taking him to the library to drop some books off, and the library wasn't open, so we used the book drop. And it's this big, it's this big cement box, and it's over both of their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted to put the books in, so I pulled the car up and I handed them books through the window. And they put like eight books in it, and the thing wouldn't close. Okay. And so my youngest, of course, he's standing right underneath it, looking up, and my oldest <laughs> is moving the books. And I he like, doesn't have that part of his brain that sees what's around the corner. <laughs> right, right. And I like I saw it as the books were falling. He's like, of course, these books were going to fall on his face, and so they fall. And he he whips around to his brother, and he's like. You dropped those on my face on purpose. And I was like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. That was an accident. Like, we can overcome this. And he turns to me and he's like, you knew that was going to happen. And there's a part of me that I was like, I think I did. I think I did know that was going to happen. Um, but, but why didn't you? Right, right. But there's, and, and there's that, again, when we are young and we're not we're not developed and we're not emotionally responsible, like, it makes a lot of sense to be like, mm-hmm. you should have had my back. Right. Um and yeah, maybe in that situation, I should have said, stand off to the mm-hmm. side, buddy. Don't put your face to the books. And, and that is, I think, a scary part of growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I've had kids who, my own kids, as they've gotten older, they're just like, I don't like this. Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> like that this is on me. Like, right? I like it better when it was on you or it was on somebody else. Uh-huh. But like this whole picking up my life for me. Mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, yeah, it is It is hard. It is yeah. scary. And it's freeing because in that yeah. way, your life is your life. Well, and, and from a 12-step perspective, I think that's one of the invitations that recovery gives us is this, you can step into a partnership with God. Mm-hmm. Where when we talk about improving our conscious contact and seeking to know God's will for us, um, I don't know of many people who feel really solid in their relationship with a higher power. He's like, Mm -hmm. I just tune in for marching orders, and whether I like it or not, I do it. Mm -hmm. It's much more of this, like, I've gotten to know this very loving, caring, considerate higher power. And when that higher power says to me, 
you might need to do this, I will sign on wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and I'll own that decision because this is a partnership that Mm -hmm. I have. And for for many of my clients in recovery, they don't see God as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, they they see it as a I've told you this is what you have to do, and this is what makes me happy, and this is what makes mm-hmm. me angry, and don't make me angry. Yeah, or I've also seen with people, um, and and Pete Rollins talks about this, where he will say, you know, if if your God coincidentally agrees with all of your thinking. You might need to check if you're really talking to God, right? Or, or if you've yourself. just made God in your image right. instead of, right? If yeah. if you're not like having to struggle with some things or saying, I I'm uncomfortable with this, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think this is where sometimes um, faith or spirituality and psychology bump up against each mm-hmm. other, right? I've had clients as we start talking about um, confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Right, or cognitive dissonance. Now, what define those? So, you know, confirmation bias is kind of this, based on my experience, I believe these things are true, Mm -hmm. and I look for evidence that reaffirms my Mm -hmm. belief. And I only see the evidence that reaffirms my belief. And and I hang out with people who think like me, Mm -hmm. and and that also reaffirms that, yes, I'm right, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of kind of stretching that into, I've really got to get out of my perspective and look at another person's perspective, right? So when we're talking about confirmation bias, it it happens frequently enough where I have clients who will come back in and say, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. right? And it may be not the next session or, you know, maybe a couple down the road, but they come in and they're like, wait a minute, this, I'm having to reorganize then some of my faith or Mm -hmm. my beliefs about God, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then... The other one I talked about was cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. And I and you know I, I think sometimes not everybody, um, but sometimes in our spiritual practice we can get into some black and white thinking. Yeah. Right. There's a right and there's a wrong. I think it's black or it's white. I think that's one of the things that, especially early on in our life, is utterly comforting about a mm-hmm. lot of religion is that there there's a really clear path for me. Right. There's certainty mm-hmm. and there's guaranteed answers there, and if you do this, this happens. There may even be a formula. Right. Um, and I I think that can be that can be a helpful incubator mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And I know for me when I was young, that is one of the things that attracted me to my religion. Um, because I I felt at a young age that my parents hadn't figured it out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my re- religion kind of handed me a um, procedure manual and a this if you want your life to work out this is what you do and I was like great Mm -hmm. I was so happy to receive that Um, and and it took me a while to realize that um, sometimes things didn't go the way that it said it would but I could you know in my confirmation bias I could not see that Mm -hmm. I had some blindness to that or I could explain that away Mm -hmm. Um, instead of truly looking at that Mm -hmm. and saying maybe Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe it's not so cut and dry. Yeah. And and that's what cognitive dissonance is, is it is it kind of puts two maybe competing, sometimes opposing truths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as human beings we want to reduce that to okay, A is always right or B is always mm-hmm. right. Um, occasionally, rarely B might be correct, but mostly A is always correct. Mm-hmm. And that simplifies things and makes our brain work more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cognitive dissonance is saying you can't, there's some things you can't do that with. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I made, there's some things in my life that I can move into 
a ritual or a pattern and just be like, I do this every Tuesday or whatever, right? But there's other things that I have to take and say, okay, there may be similarities in this situation Mm -hmm. to another situation, but this is its own situation. Mm -hmm. This is its own person. Mm -hmm. And I have to, you know, assess and figure things out and I can't just be like oh you have brown hair I've Mm -hmm. dealt with a brown hair before they're Mm -hmm. crazy right and and just do that like that's I mean that's a kind of a silly example of cognitive dissonance but right it it makes us say you know another word for that is a paradox it brings us Mm -hmm. into sometimes this is what happens and Mm -hmm. other times it's this and occasionally it's a third yeah yeah and so you were saying those two things can can really those can be some places where the religion world and the psychology world really mm-hmm. butt heads. I, I find that sometimes as I am working on these psychological principles, um, it, it isn't uncommon, you know, like I said, it may be not the next session or in the session, but for them to come back and say, okay, so now I'm wondering about this. Yeah. And, and again, it doesn't mean, you know, I have a lot of clients who have no intention of leaving their faith mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like, I don't have a bias around whether they do or don't. Um, But there is a reordering. Yeah. And for some of them, I don't know, had they known that, I don't know that they would have wanted to get into therapy. Some of them were in enough pain that they would. No, I've I've really seen a lot of stories with my clients identify with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of people that I've worked with who, as you talk about that cognitive dissonance, who will say, um, that's where I'm finding God right now is in that I don't know and this always mm-hmm. this isn't always right and um, it may not be about me understanding this now it may be thinking like somebody else has this figured mm-hmm. out um, and I can trust that mm-hmm. um, and to, to hear them talk about that place they're in now versus where they started to be like if you would have told me that right. therapy and recovery would have brought that up I think I would have said I want no part of this right. like I'm right. certain now right? and I don't want uncertainty and I don't want to lose uncertainty and then yeah. they find more peace mm-hmm in the uncertainty mm-hmm. or the nuances mm-hmm. of life. Some, yeah, some do. And mm-hmm. others, that remains intolerable. And mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's this real heightening of the awareness of gray areas because in recovery, there's there's emotional maturity that we're invited to get in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, from a developing brain perspective, um, the adult brain can hold the gray a lot more effectively than the undeveloped brain can. Right. Um, and, and we can understand. Or the immature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, if, if that's going to happen in your view of your behavior and your story, um, I think it's nearly impossible to say that's never going to touch my concept of God. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's never going to concept, that's never going to touch how I approach my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what sometimes as we start to get in these waters and clients start to feel a little uneasy because they're feeling change right there, right? It's not mm-hmm. on the horizon anymore. It's kind of right in mm-hmm. front of them. Uh, one of the things I will say to them is, look, this is your journey mm-hmm. and it's going to stay your journey. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to come from within you. It's it's not like somebody's going to give you a different set of beliefs and you have to accept those right this is going to come from within you because that's really what we're wanting to do and as Mm -hmm. you talked about kind of having that shift from external to more internal um so this is going to still feel like you're not going to be a different person yeah 
you're still going to be you and this is going to come from you but these things are going to be well thought out right mm-hmm. you're going to know why you feel the way mm-hmm. that you do and why you think the way that you think and and for a lot of I think for a lot of people, when therapy is an effective mirror, that can be infuriating. Uh Um, I think of some work that we did together um, in the past where we we got some feedback from this couple that you two are not invested in our marriage. Yes. And the answer that we gave them was, we're just reflecting back what you're bringing. Right. We don't know if you guys are going to make it or not. We don't know if Mm -hmm. you should make it or not. That's not for us to to make that call. And... um, I don't know what their conversations were like outside of session, if they had any conversations, Mm -hmm. but they came back with this, like, if that's what's being reflected back, I have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. And I'd really like to change that. Well, and and you could tell even in the session, as we were saying, um, this isn't us. We we are mirroring back or we are using your words. Mm -hmm. We are you know, we're going where you are. This Mm -hmm. isn't us taking you someplace or not taking you someplace. Mm -hmm. We're simply acknowledging where we are. Um, You could feel that kind of as we took what they kind of projected onto us and gave it back Mm -hmm. to them. It was pretty unsettling. It actually, I think, ended up being a really positive thing for their relationship. Um, But at the time, it was very unsettling, and they wanted it to be about us. Well, and I I think there's a similar process. Um, That's not to say that there aren't therapists out there who will have their own spiritual or religious agenda that they push on their clients, and that in no way is ethical or useful Uh um, and and shouldn't happen, in my opinion. Um, But a lot of times when that comes up, like I'm seeing the mirror of how I interact with God, and I don't like it. Like mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I don't want to believe in a God that's harsh like that. Maybe I don't want to maybe I don't want to believe in a God who would make me suffer just to teach me a lesson, mm-hmm. wh- whatever that may be. And uh, oftentimes, when your therapist reflects that back to you, there can be this: quit trying to change me. Mm-hmm. And when really what it is is I'm putting out there some of these deeper concerns, some of these unconscious. Um, things that aren't working for me because I I want to work it out. Mm-hmm. And and so when it comes to things shifting for you spiritually or religiously in therapy, I think it's important that you own that as yours. Mm-hmm. Um and and not that you not that you move so quickly to that bypass that says this is my therapist's agenda, but mm-hmm. really stop and question like what's the truth about what my therapist is seeing? Mm-hmm. Are there conversations I haven't been able to have with myself because they're terrifying to me. Right. Yeah, it, it, our conversation makes me think of one of my favorite quotes by Dostoevsky. Um, let me pull it up here really quick. Who is Dostoevsky? <laughs> so, I'm wondering if I should have a favorite quote well, by Dostoevsky. <laughs> he was a Russian author, and he wrote Crime and Punishment, I believe oh, it was. okay. And I just so loved his name when I had to read Crime and Punishment. I didn't care for the book that much in high school, but I loved Dostoevsky, and I got a parakeet, and I named it that. Oh, so it's nice. an author, or it's my parakeet. <laughs> <laughs> Both said this quote. Right. And he says this, um, It's not as a child that I believe in Christ and process him. My Hosanna has passed through a great crucible of doubt. Um, and, and that's where I think sometimes for clients, right, they're, um, sometimes their faith will pass through in therapy these um, crisis of doubt or mm-hmm. um, a crucible of doubt, as Dostoevsky said. Um, and sometimes those are around large things mm-hmm. and sometimes those are around small things. Um, and what I find for a lot of clients is that doubt is something they learn to live with. Yeah. 
and the uncertainty is something they can let go of. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Um, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my sponsor when I was working step two and three. Um, and I was telling him, like, I am so far from where I started with God as a, as a child and, uh, and even as a young adult, and it's really scaring me. Um, like, I don't know where this is going to end up. And I look at the things that I used to do to feel close to God, and I think they made me feel close to God. And now I look at them and I'm like, that's not what gets me there. Mm. And um, I said, I, I think I think I'm scared of that. I know the people in my religious community are scared of that. And um, he, in his very wise way, he's a so he he's an openly gay man. He's married, and he's part of a very conservative church. And one of the the questions he gets often is, um, "Why are you doing that to yourself?" Mm. And he's like, "You know, I feel like this church." holds up the um, the moral framework that makes sense to me. And when that moral framework stops making sense to me, I won't be part of this church anymore. Mm. But as long as it does, this is a community that I need to be a part of. But he was saying, it's been interesting to me that I, I grew up deeply in the church and deeply in scripture, and I don't remember what religion he was when when he was younger. And he said, and then I, I went through this phase of my life where I was like, it's all crap and it doesn't get me in. There's no place for me. And he's like, and then it's just interesting to me in my 50s that I'm right back to reading scripture every day mm. and attending mass. And I, I talk with my priest and um, he's, he's like, it's, it's, it, I, I never would have imagined that it would have taken that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important to keep in mind, too, with your, your spiritual and your religious journey. Um, there may be some room for that not to be stagnant throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And that might be part of the beauty of it. And that might be part of the value in it for you Mm -hmm. is that it can evolve and it can be, it can be something that fits what you need at different times in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And just because we, we challenge something and it doesn't work for us at one point in our life doesn't mean that it may not pop up again at some point with some meaning and relevance for us that we didn't see there before. Or I've, I've used this example. I was having a conversation with one of my daughters and you know, she's kind of going through what I call to her an evolution of faith. And she was feeling some guilt around that and different things. And I just said, you know what, when you were young, I had this rule for you that you could never, never, never cross the street without mom. Mm -hmm. And I did that to keep you safe. And, uh, you know, and so it was a very rigid rule. And I said, and that rule has so outserved its purpose. Like we are no longer there. Right. And I said, and she believes that. (laughs) And I said, and really, I mean, even in kindergarten, oftentimes I would kind of walk her to school. So still, right. And, and, and our, elementary school is pretty close to our house and so um there was just like one street to cross but i said you know pretty much by first grade when you were walking with your friends that rule had kind of gone out the window Mm -hmm. and that was okay and you didn't feel nervous about it because you know unlike when you were two or three you now knew how to safely cross a street right and so the principle had evolved with you and i was no longer necessary every time you were approaching a crosswalk Mm -hmm. like I wasn't necessary anymore and we had that rule had kind of we had outgrown that right and so we had to evolve to the next one now that doesn't mean that as an adult she's an adult now I said that you just go randomly running in the street right you don't do that but you also don't need your mom around right and and you things have shifted from this external 
person, mom, and this external rule to about you now know how to you know, walk around places and keep yourself safe, mm-hmm. right? And I think sometimes that's, that is the evolution of faith, whatever that looks like for people, right? We're, we're taking what we got as a child, and like you were saying with your therapist, he had to go through a time period in which he had to reclaim it, mm-hmm. and it had to be his, mm-hmm. right? Instead of what his parents gave him, and he just never questioned it. Yeah. And, and maybe that included for him, it doesn't for everybody have to include this, but a time period in which he says no to it all, mm-hmm. right? No to everything. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back to a, I found value in this. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the thing to keep in mind is it's a deeply personal thing mm-hmm. and, and you're going to do things or feel pulled in directions that may not even make sense to you. Right. And maybe, like that's something I've, I've becoming, I've, I've started to appreciate in my spirituality and adulthood. Like that's part of the beauty of it to me is that there's mystery. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've really moved from this concept of faith that faith provides certainty to more of like faith allows for a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And faith allows for a lot of, I don't know, we'll see. And I think, you know, as the 12 steps talk about, or the big book, the AA big book talks about, like, we have to stop playing God. Yeah. Um, oftentimes when we are certain of in everything, that is a form of playing God. Yeah. Right? So that mystery, the uncertainty, um, that brings in really some of this. I, I'm not playing mm-hmm. God because I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I can't yeah. see things down the road. Yeah. I'm guessing that if you've made it this far in the episode, that some stuff has come up for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you may be relieved in what you're hearing. You may be angry about what you're hearing. Um, either way, we'd really like to know what what happened for you, right. what's coming up. Um, I think there's a lot more discussions that we need to have in this vein um, on the religious and spirituality front. Because, um, you know, again, it's part of those big three that we never talk about. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so if, if you want to share with us, you can reach us at thanksforsharingpodcast at gmail.com. The end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it is finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.